When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in uh, episode 64 of our study through Exodus, which has lasted 64 days. Oh my goodness. Uh, this is uh, Exodus, God's great rescue. And uh, we left off yesterday with uh, Moses uh, going through the people. He had the Levites go through and call the herd, I guess you could say, of 3,000 people to prove that God's serious when he says, you know, keep these commandments. And uh, we talked about how difficult it is to be a leader, uh, particularly Moses. Sometimes you have to make difficult decisions. Sometimes you make decisions that go, don't go well. Uh, sometimes you make decisions that in retrospect were probably the right decision, but people didn't understand it at the time. And that how we always should pray for our leaders. Um, I'm thinking about Teddy Roosevelt, uh, his man in the arena speech where he said, uh, you know, unless you've been the leader, nobody really, un you know, it's, nobody understands what it's like to lead a large group of people until you've actually been placed in that position. And I believe that's true. I think... Uh, People who are, you know, presidents are probably the ones I think about the most. But I guess it could be presidents of large companies. It could be, uh, you know, military commanders. Anything that deals with large numbers of people and large lives, um, it's really not fair to criticize until you've been in their shoes and seen what information they're getting, uh, good or bad information, and, you know, make the decisions that you have to make and then live with those decisions uh, and sometimes those decisions are not good decisions. And sometimes you have to live with the fact that um, you made a poor decision or you made your decision based upon poor data um, and uh, just how difficult leadership is. And it truly is from you know what I've seen for people who are leaders. Um, it's truly a lonely place at the top when you are when ultimately the decision rests on you. That is a very, very difficult, challenging place to be. Uh, and so we should always pray for all of our leaders in that situation because it is a, it is a challenging thing. All right, um, but we're going to continue on. Um, we're going to go to uh, now Exodus chapter 33, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. Let's see here. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I will promise on oath to Abraham, or I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Um, so... Now God is telling Moses, okay, go. I'm going to take you to the land. Of, I'm going to send an angel with you uh, to the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Peravites, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people. Now this is curious because whenever we've seen the angel of the Lord, uh, we've always believed that this is God. I mean, if you look back in Genesis and Exodus, whenever we've seen the angel of the Lord, this is God. But now he's saying, go, I'm going to send the angel, but I'm not going to go with you because you're a stiff-necked people. So there's obviously a disconnect between the angel of the Lord, this angel, and God himself. And that's probably, that's probably true. 
Um, we know that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we know that God is something so um, difficult to comprehend that even our words and our thoughts and our logic doesn't apply to God. And this does not make, um, th- this doesn't, uh, this doesn't cause us cause for concern because we are limited in our knowledge. We There's a lot of things we understand about this universe. And, and someday I hope that we understand about everything in this universe. But um, there are just things about God that are outside of this universe, outside of the created order. And they are, um, they are much more complicated and God does not reveal that to us. And so we don't have a lot of information about it. So it is not surprising that when God comes to us as an angel of the Lord, I don't think it's the full God that comes to us. I think it's a portion of God. It's like when God came to earth to dwell among us in Jesus. It wasn't, I mean, the fullness of God dwelt in him, but it was um, it was a personification of God. It was the son of God. It was, uh, it was the third person of the, or the second person of the Trinity of God that dwelt with us and we just it's something we just can't understand or comprehend because we know that god is with them if he's sending the angel to lead them but we also know that he says but i'm not going to go with you because you're stiff-necked people or this could be that god is saying listen i'm not i'm not going to be with you because you've sinned and i need you to think about that for a while and i'm sure they do think about it actually they do think about it um because you need God with you if you're going to go and conquer the Canaanites, the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. If all of these people are in the promised land and you have to get into the promised land, then you hope that your God is with you because he's going to help lead you into the promised land. So the fact that he says, yep, you guys have just sinned too much. I'm not going to go with you. That is just a horrible thought for the Israelites. Well, what do they do? Well, let's continue reading verse 4. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. So, um, he's like, if I'm going to go with you, you better not be wearing any ornaments. Now this is interesting too. Um, well, if, you know, let me decide. Sometimes we do this with our, with our kids, right? We say, okay, go in your room while I decide. <laughs> um, go, go have alone time while I decide. Um, th- th- this, is, this is a punishment of waiting. And waiting is usually more difficult to deal with than the actual punishment itself. For example, if you've ever been diagnosed with a disease or if you know that somebody's going through something and you're waiting in the surgery room or you get an oncology test and, or, and you're waiting for the results of that test, the waiting is always the worst. Um, and the same thing is true with punishment. If your parents punish you and send you to the room and say, we're going to debate about what to do with you when you get out, you know, when you go and have your quiet time. Uh, we're going to figure out what to do with you. That is always more difficult because our minds can imagine so much more um, of a difficulty. And our, and this is why people who do films to try to scare you, you know, horror films or, sc- or scary films, if they don't even show you what's going on, sometimes our mind can imagine things that are much worse than what's actually portrayed on screen. <clears throat> so... 
Um, so this is, this is what God says to them. And so the people, they're distressed by this. Uh, they don't like the fact that God's called them a stiff-necked people. And he doesn't like that he's saying, if I was going to go you, I might destroy you. I mean, that's another thing. Um, I don't know if I've told you this story uh, on this particular podcast, but when I was a kid, uh, my my parents uh, had a, lo- a difficult time with me in second grade because I kept doing very horrible things. I was not a good kid in second grade. I was sneaky uh, and I was doing things that the teacher told me I shouldn't do so that my mother had agreed with the teacher to send a note home every day in second grade. Well, I knew that if I'd done something wrong that my mother would get upset with me. So uh, I would take the notes and I would hide them in this bush close to our house. And um, and when my mother said, where's your note? I'd say, oh, she forgot to give me a note today. And my mother bought that story. Until one day my brother was playing in that bush and found all these notes, brought it to my mother, and my mother was furious. It's probably about 10 or 15 notes about Mrs. Bunch, my second grade teacher, telling my mother all the bad things that I'd done. And uh, I think... I think I might still have these notes. Um, I think my mother may have kept them because uh, I do have a an envelope with all the all the things that I did. Anyway, um, so I, I will someday point look at for those. Um, so this so this happened on a Friday. I was supposed to or a Thursday. I was supposed to go hunting with my father uh, the next day. We were going to go hunting, and my my parents said, "Go to your room while we figure out what you, what you're going to do." what we're going to do because I was supposed to get packed, go hunting, spend this great time with my father. Um, but the, the notes came to play. My brothers who were going to go hunting also were overjoyed um, that I was in big trouble. And uh, so this waiting was just horrible. And uh, we'll see what we're going to do. And so finally, my dad says, OK, get your things and get in the truck. And I'm like, yes. So I get in the truck and he says, I want you in the front seat. And I'm like, "Uh oh. So I'm in the front seat. My brother's in the back seat and snickering. And uh, my dad turns to look at me and he said, listen, the only reason why I am allowing you to go hunting with me is because if I leave you here in Phoenix, I'm afraid she might kill you. (laughs) And uh, so the point was well made. I understood. Um, uh, I mean, I doubt that. Well, she might have killed me. I was kind of a sneaky kid. Uh, She needed time. She needed time to cool off. Apparently, she was very angry. Um. And so I was able to go on the hunting trip. And, and you know, even with the hunting trip, I knew that I was going to have to face my mother for a long period of time, even after the hunting trip. But that's, that's, that's the story I remember on this. You know, if I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. You guys are such stiff-necked people. I can't deal with you. So get out of here. Um, so the Israelites, they didn't know what else to do. So they took everything off, the ornaments and everything. And they left it at Mount Horeb. And this is, um, this is kind of an indication to God, like, you know, we're nothing. You know, all the ornaments, everything, we're going to stand before you bare without any protection whatsoever. And we're just going to be naked in front of you. Um, and we understand that we are a stiff-necked people and we need redemption. And so we're going to stand in front of you. And so that's what they do. All right. And that kind of ends that portion of the story because then we're going to go um, to, to see another th- story about Moses. So let's just start reading in Exodus 33, beginning at verse 1. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. 
anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. All right, some good stuff here. So Moses pitches a tent outside of the camp, and periodically he would go into the tent, and uh, God would descend on the tent like a cloud. And that's how people knew that, that Moses was conversing with God. And what did they do? They would The gay would get up, and they would stand outside their own tent, and they would worship. Uh, that it, you would think that they would go to Moses's tent and that they would worship there, but that's not what they did. They got upside outside of their own tent and they worshipped outside of their own tent. And this is um, this is a precursor to the way that God set up um, worship or instruction or following God in the Old Testament. You have to remember that each of these tents is a tribe. And there would be somebody in that tribe that would be the um, the head of the household, and that person would be the faith leader. Um, and eventually what happens is all those faith leaders get together at the synagogue, and they learn, and then they bring that back as the head of the household, and they would teach their household. Because the tribe is, um, you know, the, the whole entire tribe is made up of a bunch of tents, and each tent is like a household. And um, in, in the Greek word, it's called an oikos. It's called the, the house. It's, it's, the, it's the thing that uniquely identifies each kind of group of people. Today, we'd call it a family. Or we might even call it a household too or an extended family or something like that. Um, but in each one of those, there would be a head of the household that would direct the spiritual uh, growth of everyone in that household. They were like the old wise leader of that household. And everybody's supposed to respect that person uh, and that person has total say. So nobody else can go in anybody else's tent and tell them what to do. Because if you are the head of the household of that tent, that is your tent. And to some degree, we still have remnants of that in in, uh, law here in the United States that says, you know, if you're a parent, you have complete control over your children. There's very, very, very few things that the state would come in and remove the children from your house. Um, You know, obviously, um, some sort of sexual abuse would probably be one. I think drug use might be another. I'm not entirely sure of everything. Um, but I'm pretty sure of the of the sexual abuse one. But other than that, you as a parent have a lot of autonomy, a lot of freedom to to direct the people in your house. You're even allowed to homeschool your kids. That that right now is still allowed in the United States. In in many some places it's not allowed, but here in, in Arizona it's still allowed. You can homeschool. Uh, you can teach them your value system. You can do anything, uh, you know, short of you know, sexual abuse, you can do anything to your children that you feel uh, is necessary for them to grow and to learn the value system that you have. If you're Amish, you are allowed to bring them up in the Amish faith. And that has all the stuff that the Amish has and that, 
You know, if they decide to leave the Amish community, they get shunned and all of these different things that that communities do and allow to happen. Uh, you are allowed to do that to your children. And in a way, it's um, a type or an image of what the amount of freedom that God gives to us, right? Like God is like our parent and he raises us how he wants. You know, he gives us the Ten Commandments. This is how I want you to follow me. But we have a lot of freedom within that. Um, and being a parent is about as close as you will get in this life to being, understanding what it must like to be, what it must be like to be God, which is why I think being a parent is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us because, um, we get to see the love and the joy and the heartbreak and the, and just everything of what it's like to take somebody from very, very young and grow them into an adult and then watch them grow and get wiser and, you know, make good decisions, make bad decisions and all that sort of thing. It really, truly is. Um, it truly is the, the greatest thing there is. I, I, and, and when it's done, uh, you know, it's over and the last kid leaves home um, and you look at your life, you say, OK, what in my life? could possibly ever compare or even come close to that sort of joy. I mean, there's others, right? Like maybe starting a business might be something like that or, um, you know, finding, um, you, you know, there, there are probably other things that, that come close to it. But for me, and I look at all the things that I've done, I, th I still think that, you know, being a parent is probably the just the greatest thing that God has given me. Anyway, um... Yeah, so the other thing is, is that Joshua does not leave the tent. So his aide, Joshua, Moses has this young aide, Joshua, who is um, always with Moses and seeing the things that Moses does. And of course, Moses is grooming him. God is grooming him to be the next great leader of Israel. Um, we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and that basically tells the story of, of this exodus and coming into the, you know, coming to the, the edge of the promised land and God gives more laws and all that sort of thing. But Moses doesn't end the, enter the promised land. Uh, he dies and then that's at the end of um, Deuteronomy. And, um, and then Joshua leads the people into the promised land. And that's where he fights the battle of Jericho and all that sort of thing. Um, so anyway, that's, that's where we are. Um, we'll continue reading, uh, verse, verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by my name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So the, the Lord, Moses says to God, listen, you've been saying, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you're going to send with me to lead these people. Um, if you're pleased with me, show me how to lead these people. Now, Moses at this time is over 80 years old. He's been, you know, he led them out of slavery. He's been, he's been their leader for a while and he still questions his leadership chops, um, which is just another thing. I mean, every setback. Every leader at some point questions their leadership chops and say, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe somebody else should do this because <laughs> it's, it's, it is tough. I mean, sometimes a change in leadership is actually a very, very good thing. 
Um, sometimes people have no trust in their leader um, because they've made really bad decisions and they've put together a cabinet or a council or whatever that's giving them bad information. And sometimes it's just bad. And sometimes at that point, the leader should be changed. And, you know, here in the United States, we have a great process for getting new leaders. Uh, in other countries and other places and other times, it might require revolution. It might be, require death of the leader and all the people around the leader. I mean, um, it, it's, uh, you know, leadership is great when things are going great. And then when the leader, you know, starts to fail or makes bad decisions, things can go south pretty quick. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And then when that happens, every leader doubts, right? I mean, who but Moses is going to lead these people? I mean, who? There's nobody else, right? I mean, as long as Moses is alive, those people want Moses, <laughs> absolutely want Moses. Um Teach me, he's saying, you know, teach me so so I can continue to lead these people. If not, get rid of me. I'm sure every leader, you know, has had that kind of discuss, discussion with God. Um, but what, is, what does God say? He comes to Moses in verse 14 and he says, The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In other words, I know that you're struggling with all this, um, but find rest in me. I am with you. I know that you're struggling. I know this is a difficult time, but find rest in me. And th this is why I wonder um, how a person can lead if they don't have a very strong relationship with God, because how do they find rest? I mean, where do they go to? Where does the president of the United States or, uh, you know, the, the prime minister of Britain or the, you know, the king of any nation or, or any of these people, how do they find rest and solitude and energy to wake up the next day and to continue leading the nation that God has placed them in? Like, how do they do that if they don't have a strong relationship, a strong foundation of their faith with God. I don't know how it's possible. For me, it would be impossible. It, I don't think I could lead unless I had a strong relationship with the creator of the universe. Um, so the, the, and that's just, maybe that's just how I'm created. Uh, and so when I look at other leaders, I'm like, how can they lead if they don't have a strong faith? And if you don't have a strong faith, then where do you where do you go? Well, you go to your friends, you go to your family, you go to your council, you know, you go to the people that you trust and you try to find in them rest. But let me tell you something, all those people are sinful human beings and they probably all have alternative agendas and they probably are not um, 100% in your court. There may be something else going on behind the scenes that you're not aware of. Um, they may provide counsel and rest, but it is not complete and total control and rest, or, you know, total rest. Um, I think, I think honestly, if you're going to be a leader, you you have to have a deep faith um, in something. And, you know, in God would be the best thing, obviously, because God will never fail you. If it's not, if it's not God. You know, another person you could have faith in is yourself, and that would that would not necessarily go well either, because you, we all are sinful. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, uh, and so have you know finding rest in ourselves is not a good way to go. Um, the only thing to me that makes sense is to find rest in God. Um, 
So, so that's what, that's what Moses, he's having this conversation with God and he goes, I can't handle it anymore. Please, you know, find someone else to help me or, you know, put them in charge or whatever. And God's like, no, I put you here, find rest in me and we'll move forward and get through this. Um, yeah, we'll just read one more, one more little bit. So then Moses said to him, this is verse 15. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Um, Yeah, well, let's see how that goes. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you must not be seen. Um, all right, so um, we'll leave it there. Yeah. Um, so Moses says, listen, how, how you know, if I'm going to continue leading, I need you. And God says, don't worry, I'll be with you. And he says, but I will let my glory pass by you. I'm not, it's not going to kill you, but it's going to pass by you. Uh, and that, and then you will know that I am with you. And God is with, with, with Moses um, from now on. Um, and what does that look like? I thought that was in the next verse, but it's not. We get the Ten Commandments, then we get the next verse. So we'll have to get to that on Monday when we get back together again. So, um, yeah, this is just, this is a difficult come to Jesus. Come to Jesus moment? Can, can Moses have a come to Jesus moment? I suppose. God is Jesus. Yeah, he has a come to Jesus moment says, listen, I can't lead these people. You've given me, you know, little to work with here you've given me me and i'm not i'm not equipped for this give me some help and god's like no i'm with you i will not leave you i'm very i'm pleased with you you're doing a good job pats him on the back and says listen i'm with you i will not leave you i will not forsake you and these are still my people so it sounds like god's anger has kind of subsided which is good because he is a just God, but he's also a loving God. He's like a parent. He gets angry. His nostrils flare. and he about, I'm going to kill that kid. <laughs> and then the kid begs, no, I'm so sorry, please. They take off the ornaments. They stand bare and naked before their parents. And their parents, okay, all right, I'll be with you. I love you. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. A gracious God, thank you for uh, this story because it's so applicable to every aspect of our life. We pray for all leaders everywhere. We pray, Lord, that you would give them strength to make the right decisions. And when they fail, Lord, pick them up, dust them off, and pat them on the back and, uh, and help them to move forward. Sometimes they have no choice but to move forward. Um, thank you for this time together and for the study. Be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.